may our focus and attention be on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. So we're going we're gonna to just real quickly look at John 20, um, verses 1 through 9. And I just want to leave you with a couple thoughts about this. We, we read this earlier. On the first day of the week, um, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Um, and that, that line, just so you know, um, this, is, this is one of the primary reasons that we have our worship gatherings on Sundays. Um, the first day of the week is Sunday. Um, and um, the early church gathered before sunrise, and that's one of the significant elements of this. Um, but he, she comes to the tomb early while it is still dark, and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And I want, I want to focus on the reactions of the three people in verses 1 through 9. So watch Mary's reaction. So she comes, the stone had been taken away. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, that's John's code for himself, so that's John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And what I want to do is I want to just look at the three, um, the three reactions, and particularly the, the three failures to see what was impossible to see. And I know that sounds like a, a paradox, but Mary, Mary Magdalene, she comes to the tomb, and she sees the stone is moved, and she runs to find the disciples. Now, the indication seems to be here in John that they were not that far away um, and perhaps they were already on their way to the tomb. Now, now the other gospels don't have it that way, but um, all four gospels tell the resurrection a little bit differently. Um, and so Mary runs and she goes and finds Simon, Peter, and John. Um, and it's not surprising that they're together. Simon, Peter, and James and John are cousins. Um, so, so um, and Simon, Peter is probably the oldest of the disciples. And John is probably the youngest. John may have been a teenager at this point. Um, and so she ran and went and found them. So then they go running, and John outruns Simon Peter. And si so Mary Magdalene went, she saw the stone had been moved, and she goes and finds the disciples. Then John comes running, and he sees the linen cloth lying, but he doesn't go into the tomb. And then Simon Peter comes running, and he runs. Um, right into the tomb. And the way my dad always told this when I was a kid was that Simon Peter was an old man and old men take a long time to slow down. And so he just managed to just keep running and wound up going into the tomb. I don't think that's possible having seen these tombs. Um, the entrances are really low. Um, so you, you have to actually bend down to get in. Um, but uh, Simon Peter comes running. He goes into the tomb and he sees the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head, and that's folded up and it's put in a place by itself. So here are three people 
at three different distances from the resurrection, uh, from the site of the resurrection. And all three um, have, have an issue. Uh, Mary Magdalene sees the stone moved. She runs and says, hey, they took the body. John comes running and sees the linen cloth, and he just stops right there, and he goes, all right. Simon Peter runs in. He sees the cloth folded up. And so then the, then the line that follows this is, then the other disciple who went, reached the tomb, went in, and he saw and believed. But then we have this real weird qualifier. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And so we get this idea of what did John believe at that point? See, I think Mary Magdalene believed that Jesus was dead and the body had been taken. And she goes and tells Simon Peter, and Simon Peter believes that too. And John is the one who's kind of holding on hope. And he gets there and he sees this. And now he believes, yes, the body's been taken. They believe this because they don't yet understand the scripture. They don't yet understand the resurrection. And we could get on their case about that. But the reality is there's not a single one of us that would have believed in the resurrection at that point. Because resurrections are not things that happen in the normal run of life. They, these are not things that we would experience enough to believe that they are true, that it's true. It's just not something that would happen. So their first reactions to the resurrection were natural, even though they were wrong. And it's important they understand they didn't just not believe in the resurrection. They're, they're believing something else entirely. The evidence for the resurrection can't be pieced together. The hope that they're going to have, the, the glory that they're going to be able to celebrate, they can't piece it together on their own. It takes Jesus showing up later and talking to Mary and speaking to her, and then she realizes it's him. It takes Jesus appearing in the midst of the disciples and talking to them for them to understand who he truly is. They can't see the resurrection because it's impossible for them to see the resurrection without Jesus's presence. They see evidence, but they don't see his presence. And the, the line that we as Christians cross is not a line of our own ability and comprehension, where we sit there and we go, yeah, well, you know, I laid out all the evidence for myself, and it's pretty obvious, so I'm going to go follow this Jewish guy from the first century who people claimed was God. The, the evidence itself is insufficient without the presence of Christ. There is something intangible about faith. And, and I talk about this all the time, and I don't want to bore you with things that I say all the time or make something I say cliche. But when, when I say that I'm an atheist who can't get past Jesus, I mean that all the evidence is not enough. For me, the extraordinary thing about Christianity, the thing that God used to call me to a life of faith and ministry and, and service to Christ was not my comprehension of the evidence, but rather his presence, knowing his presence. Um, and, and I can't quantify it. I can't qualify it. I can't say there's a scientific argument for how you know the presence of Christ in your life. I just know that when he is present, he is undeniably present. And 
it is not within my ability um, to make that happen. It is something that the Holy Spirit does in us uh, that is extraordinary and different and supernatural. It is unnatural. It is slightly unreasonable in our minds. Because what Christ does for us, what Christ did in the resurrection, blows up every expectation we have of the way that the world should work. And this, I think, is one of the things that a lot of commentators miss about Jesus. When they talk about Jesus being a good teacher or a good moral guide or, or the first of, uh, you know, oh, well, he was our first brother. Or, or they simply, um, there's a theology called finite theism, this idea that, that God, God can't really change the way the world works, so he just accompanies us through it. Um, and it borders on deism, which is the idea that God just set the world to work and doesn't involve himself. It's that God's involved, but he's just a person going through it. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's, we just have to go through it. All of those, those belief systems, they fail in that they um, don't see the world turned upside down by the presence of Christ. It is when Christ is present that resurrection becomes a reality. It is when Christ is present that our wrong things, our upside down thinking is turned right side up. And so this is a necessary reality for us and something we, we need the Resurrection Sunday. We need the resurrection for, for Christianity to feel right and, and to be right. You know, this morning I, I, I was in the, the shower getting ready for today. And um, as you guys know, this is, my, this is my Christmas. The idea of having Resurrection Sunday without the congregation, without all of us saying Christos Anesti, Elithos Anesti, and greeting one another and all this stuff. This to me is like if I was eight years old, and this to me is like canceling Christmas. This is like, it's, it's weird for me to have Resurrection Sunday without the church gathered in uh, one place and celebrating this, because this is everything we are as Christians and the church. The resurrection is the, 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 the Latin term sin qua non. It is the one thing that makes Christianity not just a social club or a human religion, but something extraordinary and different and supernatural. And so as we go out from today, as the church, we go out in the supernatural presence of God in Christ. We go out different. And, and those of you that are gathered and your Christianity, maybe it, your faith has gotten a little stale. It's getting a little cliche. It's gotten a little, I can handle this. You need to reset yourselves in the mind of the resurrection because when we come to the resurrection, this thing, this church, this life, this faith, it is something other than natural. It pushes us to places we never choose to be. It drives us to honor covenants we would never honor on our own. It calls us to ministry that is outside of our comfort zone. It brings us into blessings we could never experience if it was governed by our feelings and evidence and facts and reason. Now, all of those things get wrapped up into Christ. And Christ brings all that we are 
into himself and transforms it and makes it extraordinary. And then our reason and our logic and our ministry and our faith and our charity and all those things fueled by Christ are what we might have done um, when we were doing the right thing, magnified to a hundredfold. 